0: Thanks for opting in for this episode of This Week in Linux. On this episode, Signal got a massive donation from the co-founder of WhatsApp. A new screenshot tool is available, and it's pretty slick. We'll take a look at an open-source CRM solution for those that are interested in using Linux for their business. Then we got some desktop environment news for Unity 8 and Sway. A cool modern PDA device started shipping this week. And we'll take a look at a distro based on Linux from scratch. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tenell with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux news. Before we get started, we've had a lot of new subscribers recently, so first of all, thank you. And for those new to the show, I want to take a brief moment to talk about what the show's about. Uh, the main show covers 20 Linux news topics each week and Tux Digital patrons receive five additional patron-only topics. We try to cover a large variety of topics for all experience levels, whether you're brand new to Linux or you've been a sysadmin for years. Also, be sure to check out the show notes, because I create a segment index for each episode. This segment index contains a brief description and timestamp for each topic, so you can quickly and easily jump to any and every topic you want. Thanks again for ch- just checking out the show, and uh, let's let's get to it. Up first in the news this week is Signal gets $50 million donation. Yep, $50 million. Now this is actually going to be a, not only just it just the money being sent, given to the Signal, they're creating the a, a Signal Foundation, uh, which will be a f- 501c3 nonprofit foundation created with this money. And thanks to the donation from Brian Acton. And if you don't know who that is, understandable, because most people know the application he made rather than his name. But he is one of the co-founders of WhatsApp, which sold to Facebook for a ridiculous amount of money. So anyway, uh, he will also become the executive chairman of the Signal Foundation. They They haven't really said exactly what he's going to be involved in but they did say that he will be involved in some kind of, like, operation stuff, so, like, day-to-day in some level, but not really specifics. But they said that they're going to be using the money to expand the team and heavily develop the application for everyone. So, this is fantastic, because Signal is one of those applications that I felt, you know, it has so much potential. If it just had a little bit of backing, then it could be, like, gigantic. Now it has a gigantic amount of backing, so... We'll see. FlameShot 0.5.1 was released this week, and if you haven't heard of FlameShot, it's actually pretty interesting. It's a it's a screenshot, you know, snapshot tool that what it's got built-in features for like editing the colors, making highlights, adding arrows, just like it's a more robust way of making a screen a screenshot. I really like it because all the tools for editing is built into it. Now, Shutter has the same ability to add arrows and highlights and things, but it's it's done through an editor after the fact. So you have to create the screenshot, then you go in and edit. And this is all built right into the snapshot tool. That is pretty cool. Uh, I haven't there. I wanted to talk about this previous uh, previously, but I couldn't because there wasn't any build like packages to install. Now they have uh, dev files and app images that you can use. I think it's also supported in the AUR. I think this is like really cool because they then the tool the toolbars or like the tool buttons I guess uh, now also are better if you do like a full screen capture they don't go out of the screen like they used to because that's what the update has and they've also improved some high DPI support and they now use like the native file dialog for whatever DE that you use so this is a really cool tool and if you haven't tried it and you're looking for a more robust way of doing screenshots that allow you to do annotations and notations and stuff then check out flameshot. This week Sweet CRM 7.10 was released and Sweet CRM is an open source customer relationship manager tool. It's a it's an application that you can self-host on your own servers or on your own internet or just your own computer. The idea of this application is that you can uh, manage your leads inventory tracking into inter- interactions with your 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 employees and your customers so that you can see the the actions that are being taken by your employees and how they're interacting with your customers how they're co- they're talking to the customers via like email setting up appointments you know having a, a group calendar that everybody shares like there's a ton of things that if you're if you're if you know anyone who's a, is a business person or you're a business person you want to have a solution for customer relationship management, sweet CRM is a really good option. The thing I like the best about this is that there have been many open source CRMs I've seen over the years because I've been, in, I've been in this for a long time for these types of things, and most of them are terrible. This one actually has a lot of potential and value. The the funny thing is there was this one called Sugar CRM and it was open source. It is no longer open source. They they closed all their software and are proprietary now. But during the process of the last version of Sugar CRM, I'm not sure if it was the very last, but it was like close to the last, Sweet CRM decided to fork it and make their own because Sugar CRM announced that they were going to proprietary. So that's one of the things that's kind of funny that it's it's not only a good opportunity because this is actually better than the original the sugar CRM original still looks pretty bad still is missing a lot of features that it should have like for the exa- example it doesn't have an auto upgrade tool which is weird uh, whereas this one does you, know, you you have to install an upgrade package and then it updates most CRMs don't have a really good upgrading path so if you're interested check this out and um, let me know if you are and if you would like for me to talk about more self-hosted software and things like that in future episodes, I would love to know. So let me know in the comments below. Audacity 2.2.2 was released this week, and this comes with some new features and improvements uh, overall with like performance and just some bug fixes and things like that. One of the things to talk about is that they have improved the contrast of light and dark themes. Unfortunately, they didn't provide a screenshot for me to show you what that looks like, so uh, there's that. As a, a quick tip, uh if you are involved in any kind of like software development or any kind of really anything that requires looking at something make a screenshot to show what that is just a tip if you ever go to github you'll notice that there's so many projects i don't have screenshots for what that does anyway moving on they have a, they've added some extra menu consolidation with the extended bar and extended command menus which is very nice. They uh, they introduced those in the previous version, so if you haven't tried that, they've added some uh, multiple use like save as features so that you can have like you can save existing open projects without resulting in any kind of data loss, which is fantastic. Bug fixes are always great. Check out Audacity 2.2.2 and let me know what you think. VidCutter is a quick video editor that was had an update this week and the the most Requested feature of this tool was the media stream configuration, so you have a new media stream button that was added and allows you to uh, show for using when clips are all derived from the same source media, so that you can set use one media file and have multiple clips of that media. the The VidCutter is an interesting application because I, I think it's worth giving a shot anyway, because it's a very like a, if you're looking for a simple editor and you just want to have you know just want to have like the basics of cutting and trimming and the the video and not want to have like you know transitions and the extra like complicated features I think this is a, a really good option that you could you could consider so this week we got an update from the Caden live team and Kaden live is a video editor if you're not aware but this is uh, an update for the beta version of the newer 1804 release stack of Caden live this this is an is a entirely new backend and code base for Kaden live it's very much beta, but it's surprisingly stable for a beta. So, like, there are certain features that don't work right now, things like that. Like, it, it doesn't support, it's not compatible with like the older KDE Live files. So, if you tried to like take an existing project file and load it in this version, it won't work. Like, there's things like that that will be solved in the future. But this, like, it, it's just surprising when I was playing with it a, a couple days ago. It's surprising how good it is so f- already at a development stage. Like I had no crashes. It did all the things that I wanted to do. For the things that worked, you know, the the stuff that they said are not available yet. You know, those didn't work, obviously. But it is surprising, and I think that um, it has a lot of potential. And I look forward to seeing the newest version because you know, Caden Live has such such great potential to be like even a professional editor. Uh, it's already what I use to make this show. And if they were to make if they were to make it competitive at the professional level. With, I don't know how they would be able to do that, but you know if they could, that would be amazing. So best of luck to the Kden Life team, and thank you for making Kden Life. This week we had a lot of updates for app menu editors on Linux. Uh, first up, we had an, uh, the first 1.0 release of App Editor. Not a very creative name, I'll say that. But App Editor is a nice application, editor, ac- application menu editor for elementary. It looks really good and it's got a lot of cool features. Um, I'm really happy to see that there's a search feature into it so you don't have to like scroll through all the, the tree system for to get every item. That's nice. There's there's a lot of interesting things about it and it is available for other things, not just elementary. You can use it on any any Ubuntu distro. Well, I'm not sure if it's all of them because I'm not sure how many versions of Ubuntu has been packaged for. But definitely, anything based on 1604. They created a new application, like they allow you to create new application entries. You can change application display name, icon, and things like that. Uh, The only thing that I haven't seen is that there's no jump list editing. But other than that, it seems like a solid choice. Menu Libre had an, an an update, and it just seemed too perfect and too fitting to not include. But Menu Libre two point one point five was released. They added support. This is what's interesting because this is a GTK based menu editor. Uh, this particular update of two point one point five adds support for Budgie desktop and KDE Plasma. So that is pretty cool. So I've tested it before on Plasma, and it didn't find any entries whatsoever. So it's really cool that it you can now use this in Plasma if you'd like to. They also added improved support for Mate, and they've added window identification for the startup window management class key. So you can have more control over like changing for certain aspects of the entry. Another thing I really like about menu Libre is that it does have ability to edit jump lists. So that's awesome. The next one is just in case you'd like to check it out, this is the KDE Plasma K menu editor, which is built into KDE Plasma. You just right-click the uh, start menu icon thing, and then choose menu Edit menu, and there you go. Edit application. That's a, it's a really good one as well. Uh, feel free to check it out, and if you'd like, I have made a video for both Menu Libre and K Menu Edit. If you if you'd like to, you can check out the videos for the channel or in the video description. I have a link to both the videos that I talk about for each of these other editors. So, up next in the show is the Sway 1.0 fundraiser. And now, this is a really interesting hackathon approach that they're doing. This is a group of developers that work on Sway, but they're not working solely on Sway, and it's not just the Sway team. There's also the WayCooler team and the WayMonad team, and another one I don't remember because it's a few letters. Anyway, this is an idea of creating like a backend. And so instead of having like the competitive, uh, right now you have i3, Wayland, not Wayland, <laughs> sorry, i3, Xmonad, awesome, and these other tiling window managers. Sway is a tiling window manager for Wayland, and WayCooler is also a uh, implementation of i3 in Wayland. But instead of having a competitive nature between each other, they're working together as well as with the Waymonad team to create like a fundamental backend that they can all use to make their version of a tiling window manager work on Wayland. While this does say Sway hackathon, it is more more like the, the it's a core team working on a benefiting all tiling window managers for Wayland, and they, they actually only requested fifteen hundred dollars for the for the campaign, but they've already reached thir- th- uh, three over four thousand now. Since that's that's new from the de- today, actually, I had written down three three thousand nine hundred, and they've already had an extra hundred dollars, <laughs> so that's awesome. The, the hackathon is actually really cool because they're going to do a stream where you can watch them work during the two-week period. That, that's a really interesting idea, and maybe even others could consider doing that as well. If you're interested in tiling window managers like i3 or anything like that, uh, check out Sway, the Sway fundraiser or the Sway hackathon, and um, maybe participate or contribute to it if you'd like and see if maybe they can do even more than two weeks And you know, who knows. This week, I found a Bash script that was created for the Breeze Dark icons. It allows you to create custom icons based on hex values of colors. So, by default, it has support for in the the default Breeze pa- color palette. So you can have icons that are made for those particular colors that are in the Breeze palette. It's a it's a script that takes the SVG files, which are basically just XML files or XML files for graphics. And it allows you to change the colors and then render them back out into new icons. So what th- this is really cool because it allows you to customize beyond just the Breeze palette as well. If you go into the script, you can change it to be really whatever you want. You can change the hex values to anything and make icons specifically for uh, whatever color you want. Another feature that you have is you can use the same script to apply a custom color themes for the QT uh, breeze, ver- Breeze themes, very nice. You can customize both the icons and the themes themselves. And, uh, but a quick tip, if you do use this, you'd have to go into your, your system settings and change the new icon set because by default, it doesn't detect, it doesn't select it in system settings. You have, it cre- creates it. And then you go in and select it yourself. This is a really cool idea. I just had to share it this week, UbiPort's team announced that they are working on unity eight for the desktop. And that it supports, it is already usable in eight, Ubuntu 18.04 LTS. Well, the alpha version of Ubuntu 18.04. The really cool thing about it, if you would like to try Unity 8, is that it's available with, you just run this one command, and then you're good to go. So that's really cool. Uh, you have to log out and log back in, but still. Or log out, select Unity 8, then log back in. But, you know, uh, it's just one line to set it up, and that's 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 awesome. Unity Eight is definitely not ready yet, so uh, if you just want if you want to try it, just let you know that you need to you know in the mindset that it is a beta development build. But what's I, I really like the idea of the ports taking this on because the the unit team had previously worked on this port this uh, fork of the project, and they decided to that they didn't have they didn't have time to continue working on it, so they got in touch with the ports team and essentially handed off the project, which is really cool because all the work the unit team wouldn't be wasted at that point. So that's that's really cool that they worked together to do that. If you'd like to check it out, you'll find the link to the command in the show notes below. Ubiports also announced that there's a Titan in the community or well, the code name for the Moto G2 is Titan and it is a community-packaged device. So well, community-packaged images for the device. So this is pretty cool because it's a it's a, a community maintained uh, support for the Moto G2, but the these the packages are also are actually hosted by UBports. So it's a partnership between the community UBports community and the UBports team. So that is very cool. And finally, in the UBports news, Canonical has donated 38 devices to the UBports team. Just they just gave them 10 uh, BQ phones and 20 Meizu phones which is really interesting. is I'm pretty sure, I could be wrong about this, but the last time I checked, these particular devices are not available for usage with the Ubiport's Ubuntu Touch version because they didn't have devices to work on them. So by these being donated to them it makes it possible like if you have one of these devices that you'd be able to continue using Ubuntu Touch with it. That is fantastic. So good job to Canonical for continuing to, you know, put your input into Ubuntu Touch even though... It's not yours anymore so that that's that's respectable anyway. so this week we got some announcements for Ubuntu so now in the canonical corner is Ubuntu 1804 LTS Bionic beaver the daily builds are now using Linux kernel 4.15 so that is definitely meaning so like the next version of Ubuntu will be using 4.15 I mean as as expected but it's nice to have a confirmation about it canonical re- release a major kernel security update for Ubuntu 1404 which fixes uh, 26 flaws. This is for, uh, for Ubuntu 14.04 LTS, the old the previous release of the LTS, and there's there's also been other other updates for 17.10 and 16.04, but the biggest update is for the 14.04 stack. This is to add an extra compiler-based mitigation for the Spectre variant 2 vulnerability for AMD64 and i386 architectures. For people who, uh, as for last week, we talked about the data collection from Canonical, and there's uh, the discussion whether it should be opt-in or opt-out. It's good to know that the upgraders from people who have already installed Ubuntu, because the the opt-out is going to apply just to the new installations, the opt-in is going to be used for people who have already installed it and are now upgrading to 1804. Uh, Dustin Kirkland said that upgrading users would need to be purposefully enabled diagnostics in the system settings, and we should look into a tasteful way of asking this question during the upgrade process. I agree with that. I, I think that the, the, up, the approach for opt-in for an upgrade of already existing user, that makes sense, and I also think that the opt-out is a better option for new users. I know not a lot of people agree with that, so... <laughs> well, maybe the people who agree are just not vocal about it. If you agree, let me know in the comments below or in the live chat. If you don't agree... Also let me know in the thing. So maybe we can have like a, a discussion about that. Next up in the Canonical corner is Canonical has partnered with Regato. Not totally sure. Which is a company that provides custom IoT gateways to deploy its slimmed down Ubuntu core. Uh, the operating system that's like just the, the core system to use against all of Regato's edge connectivity gateway solutions. That is that is pretty interesting. Next up in Canonical news this week in MIR, so up to the update for MIR is that it's now working well with the snaps uh, three two point three version, so that you can have better support for Wayland via MIR. And Mi- Canonical has also hired a new MIR developer, so that they're putting more emphasis on developing Mirror, making it better for Wayland usage. So it's got a lot of fixes and like a lot of bug fixes and stuff, and extra improvements made for Wayland. For the way the behavior of input devices like a mouse or a keyboard, they've also made it so that it's possible for the for MIR to be shipped as a snap while supporting Wayland clients. Finally, in the canonical corner is the Ubuntu Desktop Weekly Update. In this update, we found out that the daily Bionic ISOs now feature a seated snap of GNOME GNOME calculator in the place of the dev. We talked about it previously on a future, not a future, on a, we talked about it previously on a what? Anyway. We talked about it previously on an episode of This Week in Linux about them potentially shipping Snap as a default package, and it seems to be GNOME Calculator might be that package. We'll see if that, if that continues uh, after there's a test and make sure that I iron out all the bugs before they decide whether to include that in the final release or not. They've, uh, they also announced that Network Manager 1.10 is available in Bionic proposed, as well as some patches to enable hardware-accelerated video playback for Chromium which is pretty cool. The 18.04 is actually looking to be a really interesting release. Up next in the show is NewTix. NewTix? I think it's NewTix. I'm not totally sure, but I think it's NewTix. It is a distribution of GNU Linux. And it is pretty interesting. It's one I've never heard before. So as soon as I found it this week, I had to talk about it. It is based on Linux from scratch. So there's that it's, uh, it's, it's very, it's not, it's not user friendly in the sense of like for the average user, it is, it's for people who are very experienced of using Linux. So if you want to try this out, just know it has some interesting quirks with it because it's, it because it's built from Linux from scratch. There's a lot of cool things about it in the sense that you can like use this to learn really in depth ways of how Linux works. Like, there are a lot of people who talk about how Arch is a good way to learn the infrastructure of Linux, which I agree with. Uh, this is also another way to go even farther into that venture. This is also really interesting about it is that it comes with a variety of desktop environments that are not necessarily, you don't have to compile them to get it. So, like, it's, it's got a combination of both binaries and compiling. The DEs it comes with is lx Mate, uh, Plasma 5, LXDE, and XFCE. So that's pretty cool. If you're interested, you'll find a link in the show notes below. And uh, let me know what you think, if you would like to see more types of distros like this. And uh, what's, oh, before before I move on, there is one really interesting thing about this is that they make a claim that doesn't really make any sense. I'm gonna try it just to see how it works. But they say that you don't need to format your drive or any partitions or anything when you install it. And you can install it inside of other drives or inside of other distros, and that it'll still work, because it does this, like, a virtual environments install that's independent from the drive itself, like the, what's the content on the drive. It's very interesting, so I definitely want to give that a shot. Up next in the show is the Scion Gemini. Scion Gemini is a clamshell, PDA type smartphone device from Planet Computing. What's really cool about this thing is that it has a an aluminum base clamshell so that it's, you know, when you close it it's, you know, it's it's the, the case itself. You don't have to buy a case for it because it's already itself a case. It has a full keyboard in it. Although, you know, it's a small keyboard, but it does look very interesting. The price is only $600, which is for a, for a phone is pretty reasonable to be fair. It's not the ridiculous thousand dollar iphone or the new samsung thousand dollar ridiculous craziness uh so that price seems fair but there's a lot of cool things about this so the gemini has an integrated keyboard it's not bluetooth it's just built built into the device it has an extra like an extra like a double battery so it's it lasts for like at least a day or two it's designed for android but which is still good still linux you know right but has dual booting functionality that you can use full Linux on it. Awesome. Now, to be fair, it is an ARM based device, so it's not every distro. It's currently Debian, Ubuntu, Selfish, and Postmarket OS are the current four that will work on it. Uh, with other ARM based, uh, it's possible that the, the ARM flavors of Ubuntu will work as well. Uh, it would need to be an ARM build for whatever distro it is to make it work. There are multiple models. One of them has uh, the ability to do Wi-Fi only if you want to save some money, or it can be a phone as well, not just a PDA, with 4G and Wi-Fi. The really cool thing about it is that it supports both GSM and CDMA, so you can use it on any, basically any country with any network you want. And it comes with USB Type-C connector on both sides of the device. There is no upside down, right side up when the clamshell is closed. There is a headphone jack on one side. That's really cool. So you like, if you want to like have you listen, talk to someone through a headset, like a, a phone headset, you can just put it in your pocket and it's fine. But it's really cool is that you can answer phone calls with the clamshell closed in any orientation whatsoever, because the microphone and speaker is available on both sides of the device. So you can pick up the phone and just hold it to your head. And no matter what direction it's in, you can flip it, twist it, and it's still correct because the way they built these speakers, like you don't have to make sure that the phone is right side up because it's always right side up. That is pretty cool. This has so much potential that I I totally want to play with it. They actually did a Indiegogo or a Kickstarter campaign for it uh, last year. It was very successful and they're already shipping products out there hasn't been really any reviews yet reviews yet because it hasn't been it's only been like this week they started shipping keep an eye out on some like YouTube videos and see if you can find some reviews and let me know if you do so, you know please send me a review for it if you do find some uh some hands-on reviews totally think that this is like this has so much potential i I absolutely want to play with this anyway so yeah the Scion Gemini up next in the show is some Linux gaming news. There's three items in there, so if you want to go ahead and skip ahead, if you're not a, if you're not a gaming fan, that's cool. Just skip ahead to the next section and enjoy. The first topic is the Steam controller is now getting a kernel driver. For, well, for the Linux kernel is getting a driver, you know, built into Linux kernel, so it allows you to not have to use like the Steam big picture mode to use it or the Steam application itself. You can just use the Steam controller through the kernel for any game at that point once the kernel driver is complete. So that is fantastic. Whether you like Steam or not, the Steam controller is pretty cool. So there you go. This week Wine 3.2 was released with improvements to gamepad like HID or HID gamepad support, also adding Direct3D multi-sample texture support, removing obsolete DOS code, and a lot of bug fixes. Also, what's really interesting about this Wine update this week is that Wine PBA... It's kind of like Wine staging where it's a separate branch that are making patches to improve certain things and then kind of pushing them upstream as much as possible. So Wine PBA is for the Persistent Buffer Allocator. And this was made by Andrew Kamenos. Sorry if I messed that up. He wanted to make a better experience for World of Warcraft on Linux. And in doing so, he figured out how the World of Warcraft rendering in- rendering technique worked and how a GP, GPU pipeline stall was happening, and decided to make patches to the Wine code to fix all that, and based on testing says that 30 to 60% of the performance is improved. That is really cool. Now, this the Wine PBA is still in development stage, but he says that he's very hopeful to send package, patches to the main Wine as soon as possible. So that's awesome. So before we get into the next topic of the Humble Bundle, I wanted to just go ahead and give you a disclosure. I have an affiliate link with the Humble Bundle, so the link in the video description is a link to the bundle that'll give me credit that for for, for sending you to it. So I get uh, I don't know, actually it's like it's like three percent or something like that. Um, so anyway, I just want you to know that I you know I I do like this bundle. I am I'm not just sharing it because it's an affiliate link. This is a really I do like retro games. If you're interested, please use the link in the uh, in the video description. I would appreciate it. Finally, in Linux gaming news, Humble Classics Return Bundle is available and it has a lot of Linux games. Uh, these are games that were previously n- like popular back in the day and they're coming back with new versions or re uh, like reimagined versions or something like that. Like I guess they're like more like re enhanced. Uh, there you go. Enhanced versions for the modern day sort of thing. Up first is Broken Sword Five: The Serpent's Curse, Shadowrun, both uh, Shadow, All three of these are Shadow, Shadowrun: Returns, Dragonfall, Hong Kong Extended Edition, Wasteland Two Director's Cut, Age of Wonders Three, Xenonauts, Torment, Tides of N- uh, the, N- Numenera, probably wrong, Dreamfall Chapters: The Final Cut. These are pretty cool uh, as far as, like, uh, the retro style games. I, I, I like retro style games, you know. If you're not that kind of person, I understand, but I do like retro games. The, uh, the interesting thing about this is all but one of these games in the bundle are Linux-based. So there's quite a few, or not based, I guess, runs on Linux. If you're, if you're interested, check out the link in the video description. Up next in the show is Mozilla versus the FCC. And the Mozilla is refiling their lawsuit against the FCC to protect net neutrality, which is good. This is a quote from Mozilla that says that, As we've said before, the FCC's decision to overturn the 2015 rules violates both federal law as well as harms internet users and innovators. The decision does not simply roll back to an unregulated internet. Instead, it removes affirmative protections for the public despite the fact that many people in the U.S. suffer from the lack of choice in broadband high-speed internet access make matters worse, the FCC didn't adequately consider the impact such a removal would have on small businesses that rely on the open internet to sell their products and services and free expression rights of the internet users. In fact, the decision really only benefits large internet service providers. I completely agree. Because this decision was very short-sighted. And what's the more important thing about it is that not only is it not just a, a rollback to what they pretended to it was, they actually added provisions to try to forbid states to pass their own state level uh, rules for in net neutrality so it's like oh we don't we want to remove all the rules we don't we don't want regulation on this, but if you dare to make regulation yourself, oh you're not allowed to do that It's like you can't have both ways you can't have regulation to force no regulation. you either have it or you don't have it so I actually think this is a good thing for Mozilla to do. And there actually are other lawsuits as well. But this one actually fit well for the next topic too. So let's get to that one. The National Science Foundation and Mozilla are supporting projects that keep the web accessible, decentralized, and resilient. So the Wireless Innovation for Network Society, or WINS, is like a project for or contest for people to make ideas to better the like this society and allow people to get connected to like in rural areas where they don't have access. So there was two different vectors of this particular structure is the off the grid challenge and the smart community challenge. So wireless solutions for communication that can be rapidly deployed in post disaster situations or avail- give access to places where people don't have it. Smart community networks is wireless solutions for communication that can be built on top of existing infrastructure to enhance internet connectivity in communities that need greater access. Now this is a really cool uh, project. And one of the things that there, this is, this is already announced. They've already selected the winners. And this is, I want to talk about the winners because one of them is really good. The first place winner is called project lantern. The lantern is a keychain-sized device. That hosts centralized decentralized web apps with local maps, supply locations, and more. These apps are pushed to lan- uh, push to lanterns via long-range radio and Wi-Fi, then say then saved offline to browsers for continued use. Then you can go t- to another area, and get different lanterns. So lanterns can be distributed by emergency responders and are accessed by citizens through like a special purpose Wi-Fi network that is supported by the lanterns specifically. So like you can get information without, without needing to have access direct to the internet by these lanterns. You can go to connect, connect through Wi-Fi, and even though there's no internet connection, you can still get the information you need. That is a really cool concept. So uh, the second place one, it's called Hermes, High Frequency Ener- Emergency and Rural Multimedia Exchange System. It's an autonomous network infrastructure. It enables local calling, SMS, and basic OTT messaging all via equipment that can be like fit inside a suitcase or like well, a couple suitcases anyway. It uses G- GSM and Software Defined Radio to provide like a network infrastructure that doesn't require the internet itself essentially but access to stuff from the internet this is just like really interesting stuff and if you want to read more about the different things that are there's there's even more the third place winner is the emergency lte system which is an open source solar powered or battery powered base station anyway if you want to if you want to read more go check out the links in the video description these are pretty cool actually they're they're awesome ideas Next up in the show is Linux security, but before we get to the next topics I want to take a, just a second to let you know that I kind of made a mistake last week and I'd like to correct that for this one. So that the Telegram vulnerability I talked about last week while is true is a big deal did not relate to Linux whatsoever. <laughs> it was a Windows only problem. So sorry about that. Just, you know, but you know, at least this way you know it's not a big thing to worry about. So that's good, right? Anyway, let's move on now. This week, Stephen J. Von Nichols posted on ZDNet an article about bogus Linux vulnerability gets publicity. And this was really interesting because it's like, it it just shows the example of like publicity of a lot of different security vulnerabilities, even though they're not very, they're not like the Spectre Meltdown things. Those are bad. Crack was pretty bad, but still not as horrible as it might have like seemed and there's other things like Dirty Cow was not as bad as it was was made out to be. It was still bad, just not atrocious. But then that all these different things that you know that get these different that get names that are named because it's like catchy to name a security vulnerability these days. Someone took the opportunity to take advantage of that and made a security fl- uh, vulnerability called Chaos. And this is a fake, fictitious thing. Chaos is not an actual problem. It's not a vulnerability in any way because in order to execute chaos, you have to already have access to the computer. So yeah, not a vulnerability. So this is a this was made by the Go Secure team, and they basically just wanted attention. They they've got attention, but they got in the you know not the way they wanted it. So the problem is that they're saying it, it were it, the chaos opens TCP port eight three three eight, which is not used very much except for like iTunes, but it uses root to do it, so it needs root. It also has the ability to use uh, SSH keys by br- it can breach one of your uh, mo- a monitored system, a monitored system or a honey honey by brute forcing SSH keys. That's very hard to do, like very hard to do. So the in order to do this, they have to have either a very bad password or already have access in another way. So if you have a bad password fix that by changing the password making it you know good and if you can't remember that password check out bitwarden which I'll be doing a video pretty soon about that particular application or any password manager such as keypass good passwords solves bogus security problems <laughs> so moving from one not real vulnerability issue to one that absolutely is a problem there was a bug in a show stopping bug in npm which is the Node.js package management. The problem is a bug that happened in version 5.7.0. By running sudo npm under a non-root user, who normally isn't root but elevated to it, the file system permissions are heavily modified. So it changes the ownership of directories for etsy, user, usr, and boot, and other directories that that need for the system to run. It appears that the ownership is recursively changed to the user currently running npm could be whatever your regular account is and it changes access to all of them pretty much every folder that is in, underneath those this is a problem that happens on Linux and it's also been confirmed on FreeBSD this was this was actually a pre-release version when it happened however it wasn't obvious that the pre, it was a pre-release so if you just ran npm update-g you would get you would get this update and you would get the vulnerability or the, I don't say a vulnerability you get the the problem itself. And it would, cause it would automatically pull in a 5.7, which had this problem. 5.7.1 was released pretty quickly after, and it did resolve the issue, but that is a huge problem. And technically you're not supposed to sit to do NPM with sudo anyway, in general, but if you did, that would have, that would have some pretty big ramifications for doing so. So I understand if someone messes up, a, um, someone messes up a command, like using sudo when it doesn't need to, Usually, what happened was say, "Hey, you should. You don't need to do this. Don't do it." That that's a reasonable response. Breaking your system, not very reasonable. <laughs> so yeah, this was a pretty, was a pretty big. Uh, it was a show stopping bug. So with that said, thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please hit that like button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel, we have a Patreon at tuxdigital.com Patreon. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Linux is Everywhere t-shirt is a shirt I made to celebrate the proliferation of Linux. Tux is blended into the background to convey the message, even if you don't know that Linux is there. It probably is. Just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux GNU's each week. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tennell with Tux Digital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.